My name is Sarah Goodale. Um, I am married to my husband, Steve. You guys actually, they're here this service, so you know they exist. Um, my husband, Steve, and uh, my two uh, teenage boys, Declan and Lachlan. My dad's also uh, came this morning as well. So I am very excited to be here. Um, as Joe said, yeah, I worked in uh, social work, uh, doing foster care and adoptions for about 10 years and then eight years of family ministry. Currently, I work with families that are in crisis. And what I love most about working with families in crisis is the privilege it is to be with them in difficult moments, to grieve with them, to weep with them. And that's what I love about this series is that Jesus truly does get us because he had a human experience. He wept, he grieved. And today we're going to be talking about grief, but what is grief? So the American Psychological Association states, grief is the anguish experienced after significant loss, usually the death of a beloved person. Grief often includes physiological distress, separation anxiety, confusion, yearning, obsessive dwelling on the past, and apprehension about the future. Intense grief can become life-threatening through disruption of the immune system, self-neglect, and suicidal thoughts. Now pay attention to this third part. Grief may also take the form of regret for something lost, remorse for something done, or sorrow for a mishap to oneself. Grief is a very human experience in that everyone in this room has either experienced grief or will experience grief. We can't escape it because it's the evidence of the love that we have. Grief can come in the form of the loss of a loved one, but grief can also be experienced over the loss of anything that was intensely meaningful for us in our lives. For example, we can experience grief and loss, the loss of a relationship. Maybe a spouse or a marriage ended. Our loss between a parent-child relationship. Maybe there's estrangement and you are in grief over that. We can experience grief and loss of identity. Maybe you had your career all planned out or you were planning to work until this age but because of an illness or an injury or a condition or some other circumstances, that path is now closed to you and you are grieving what you thought was your future. Now, I know some of you right now are reaching for that Connect card to write, Sarah seems nice, pass on inviting her back. <laughs> but as I know we don't like to talk about grief, but I promise you that there is gonna be good news for you today. Because Jesus wept, Jesus grieved, Jesus experienced loss and suffering. And in these moments, he reveals to us how to love people well, how to grow and deepen our faith. So we're going to be looking at a pretty lengthy passage today, John chapter 11. But don't worry, I'm going to summarize some parts, and then we're going to settle into others. But I do encourage you in your own study time to take a look at uh, John chapter 11, because it is a great passage with a lot of really good stuff in it. So John chapter 11 opens up with Jesus has just been informed that his good friend Lazarus is very ill. 
Lazarus is the brother of Martha and Mary. Some of you recognize those names, Martha and Mary. You can find a little bit about them in Luke chapter 10. Uh, That story of Martha and Mary, um, some of you guys will be familiar. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him, and Martha is in the kitchen slaving away, and she decides, I'm done with this. I'm going to go complain to Jesus. Great story, highly recommend Luke chapter 10. But this is where most people know Mary and Martha from. Well, their brother is Lazarus. So Martha and Mary send Jesus a message. It says, Lord, he whom you love is ill, speaking of Lazarus. And Jesus responds to this news with, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, when you hear this, you would expect that Jesus is going to race off and heal his friend Lazarus. Or we've seen in other passages where Jesus is able to heal someone from afar. But that's not what John tells us happens. John actually says that even though Jesus loved Lazarus and his two sisters, he stayed two days longer. Now, what's weird is that the disciples are not upset by this at all. Which you would think if he had gotten this news and they're saying, and Jesus is just like not going, that they would be like, why, why wouldn't you go heal your friend? But we find out in verse 8 why this doesn't bother them. <laughs> After two days of waiting, Jesus said, okay, let's head out to Judea. And the disciples begin to object. This is what they say. Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. So the disciples thought that Jesus' decision not to go see Lazarus was in an effort to keep them all safe. (laughs) But Jesus wasn't thinking about that. He was interested in the bigger picture that God may be glorified through this. He doesn't fear going because he knows that when he goes, God is going to be glorified through what happens. That in the midst of this tragedy, God is going to reveal something about who he is. Rick Warren, pastor and author of The Purpose Driven Life, often states, God never wastes a hurt. He's even said this after He lost one of his sons to suicide. God wants to reveal himself to you and to others in the midst of your grief. I would even challenge you to say that it isn't in spite of your grief, but it is through your grief that God is able to reveal his faithfulness and his goodness through us. We're going to drop down now to verse 17. Now, after some back and forth with the disciples, um, Jesus arrives in Bethany to find that Lazarus has been dead for four days. And everyone is in the aftermath of of this loss. And I don't want you to imagine this as the somber scene that we're used to in our culture. Traditionally, in American culture, a funeral is a very somber event, dimmed lights, soothing music, 
quiet sobbing. This is not Jewish culture, especially at the time. This was a very emotional display. This was very public. There would be lots of weeping and wailing. In fact, you could hire mourners to help you with the grief process and make sure that your loved one was properly grieved and wept and wailed over. I know some of you are thinking, well, it sounds kind of ridiculous. But what the research tells us is that our way that tends to go all the way to this side of it, things, where it's shove it down, move on, don't talk about it, be strong, it's time to move forward, actually leads to something that the psychology world calls incomplete grief. Here's some of the symptoms of incomplete grief. Anger. Short fuse. Persistent thoughts about what could have been. Feeling fragile or vulnerable. Overreactive. Addiction or self-harming behavior. And apathy. Post-COVID, we are currently facing a mental health crisis, especially with our youth and our children. And I think it's due to, in part, that we don't know how to grieve. Despite the Bible being full of information on grief, from Jesus to Lamentations to Psalms to Job, we don't know how to grieve, and we haven't taught our children how to grieve. We experienced so much loss in these last few years, loved ones, security, innocence, careers, relationships, and I think we showed our kids how to be angry, how to have a short fuse, how to dwell on what could have been, how to feel fragile, how to feel overreactive, how to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol and how to be apathetic. So how does Jesus respond to tragedy and loss? When the sisters are informed that Jesus has reached their town, Martha leaves the house and runs out to meet Jesus, and this is what she says in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. How does Jesus respond to Martha in this moment? He reminds her of her faith and of who he is. While I was in seminary, one of the classes that I was taking required that I attend other faith traditions than my own. I was at um, a messianic Jewish um, community synagogue for a service, and I was so moved by the practice that they called the mourner's kadesh. In most Jewish communities, the mourner's kadesh is a prayer that is said during the 11 months after a loss, and then on the anniversary every year of that loss. 
At this particular service, they announced that anyone who was in mourning to please stand so that the community could recognize their grief. I was so moved by the dozen or so people that stood out, stood up, and how all the people in the church community placed their hands on these grieving individuals entering into their grief. My eyes filled with tears as the church body recognized and entered in as they started singing this prayer over these mourning, grieving individuals. But then when I started to look at the words, I was surprised. The prayer didn't mention grief, it didn't mention sadness, and didn't even mention death. In fact, it was a prayer about who God was and a prayer for their entire community. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, Brothers, 13 through 14, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Brothers and sisters, we grieve, but not in the same way. Because we also rest in who God is and our hope in eternal life. Let's drop down to verse 28. Martha goes and tells Mary, Jesus is asking for you. And I think this is important. In verse 30, Jesus stays exactly in the same spot. He doesn't move towards the home. He stays in the same spot. I think that he's waiting and giving Mary the opportunity to have her own moment, her own experience with him. So she comes out to Jesus, she falls to her knees, and the tears are streaming down. And you know what? She says the same thing that Martha said. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Following close behind Mary were all of the mourners who were following her, thinking that she was headed to the tomb. And when Jesus sees Mary on the ground weeping, and the crowd coming weeping and wailing, His response is that he becomes greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He asks the crowd, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus began to weep. Martha and Mary say the same exact thing, but Jesus responds to them both differently. Jesus responds to Martha by reminding her of her faith and who he is. When he sees Mary and this crowd, he enters into grief with them. Church, I want you to hear that there is no right way to grieve. I hear a lot of pastors talk about the stages of grief as if they are some sort of checklist. If you talk to any therapist that deals with loss, it's not a checklist. You can go in and out of these phases. The timing can be different. The time spent in one area versus another. You can't do it like a to-do list. What we learn from these two sections is that grief can be private at times with you and the Lord, working it out, talking it out, being honest with him. Why weren't you here? 
but it's also communal. As Jesus does not hold back his tears, he lets them flow, and they comfort one another. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He told us back in verse 4, but still he weeps. He doesn't say, everyone stop your crying, you're going to see Lazarus again. In fact, come on right now, I'm going to raise him. No, when Jesus is faced with pain and suffering, he enters into it. He suffers with, he weeps with. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We were meant to do life together. And what that looks like in times of grief can be different. Sometimes people need you to pray with them. Sometimes they just need you to pray for them. Sometimes they need to be reminded of who God is by not you telling them, but reading the scripture over them. And sometimes, church, they just need you to sit there and weep with them. It's not clear how long this weeping went on, but John tells us in verse 38, Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead for days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This miracle is the fulfillment of Jesus and Martha's conversation back in verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Jesus reveals in this moment with this evidence that he is the Messiah and many come to believe. But I also know that in this room, there are people that have experienced grief and loss. And when you hear this story, you are filled with grief. Because you are asking the same questions that Martha and Mary did. You're asking why. Why weren't you here? Why didn't you intervene? First, I want to say to you, just as Jesus wept with Martha and Mary and the whole community, he weeps with you. He wants to enter in to your situation and comfort you. Whether this situation happened to you or you made choices that ended you up in this situation, he wants to weep with you and comfort you. Psalm 34, 18 says, 
The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Second, I just wanted to remind you, I just want to just as Jesus reminded Martha in her grief, he has intervened for you and I. By entering into this world in order to pay the price for our sin and defeat death's eternal hold on us. He didn't just rise from the dead after three days. He is resurrection and life for all of us. He calls us to turn from our sin, receive his free gift of grace, and follow him so that we would have new life in him, that we would live glorifying him so that even in our darkest moments, we would have hope as we look forward to eternity and resurrection life. Now, church, this might be awkward, but I'm going to ask you to practice communal grief with me. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and wail and weep. But I do want to recognize those who are experiencing grief, those who are mourning. So if you're sitting here and you have experienced the loss of a loved one, I stand here experiencing the loss of a loved one. I wrote this sermon, and three days later, my grandma died. I wear this pendant that's hers. that She always loves seeing me wear. So I grieve with you. If you're here this morning, and you've lost a very important relationship, maybe your marriage has fallen apart. Maybe you haven't talked to your kids in a while. Maybe you and your mom or your dad can't say two nice words to each other right now. And you are in grief and you are in mourning. Maybe you're sitting there today and your life has not turned out the way that you thought. There were choices made. There were things that happened. And your plan didn't end up the way you want it to. Church, we're supposed to do life together. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Nobody's going to come and ask you, what are you grieving about? Tell me all about it. We just want to recognize that there is pain and we grieve with you. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to read and pray over you the mourner's Kaddish. So if you are experiencing grief or loss in this moment, would you please stand, church? Heavenly Father, exalted and hallowed by God's great name in the world which God created according to plan, may God's majesty be revealed in the days of our lifetime and the life of all Israel speedily, eminently, to which we say, Amen. Blessed be God's great name to all eternity. Blessed, praised, honored, exalted, extolled, glorified, adored, and lauded be the name of the Holy Blessed One. Beyond all earthly words and songs of blessing, praise, and comfort, to which we say, Amen. May there be abundant peace from heaven and life for us and all Israel, to which we say, 
Amen. And may the one who creates harmony on high bring peace to us and to all Israel, to which we say, Amen.